It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter is sleeping. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scar. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sundays come. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary. His blood dripping. His body stumbling. And his spirit's burden. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning. And evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nailed my Savior's hands to the cross. They nailed my Savior's feet to the cross. And then they raised him up next to criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. And the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved. But they don't know. It's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the earth trembles, the sky grows dark, my king yields his spirit. It's Friday, hope is lost, death has won, sin has conquered, and Satan's just a laugh. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard. And a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It is only Friday. Sunday is a coming. Ladies and gentlemen, what is the most important, the only, the linchpin event that guarantees salvation? Well, according to the Apostle Paul, if Christ be not risen, your faith is in vain, you are in your sins, we of all men are most 
miserable. Our preaching is empty. Our faith is empty. We are false witnesses. We are still in our sins. The dead are gone. We, we are the most pitiable. That is the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Listen, I really believe that this conversation will help you experience true meaning and true purpose in your life. Jesus said, if you abide in the light, then are you my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Week by week, we are abiding in the light of God and his truth as we invite you to join us to learn to be a disciple so that you can know the truth and the truth can set you free. If you're new to the Creation Today show, my name is Eric Hovind. We are on a mission to disciple the world. We want to turn stumbling blocks that keep people from seeing Jesus as the creator and the redeemer of mankind into stepping stones on their journey to know the truth. For those of you out there joining us on our television program, I want to say thank you. You are going to love this conversation. And it's uh, you're going to love it because it's about the most important event in history, period. And if you're joining us from Facebook or YouTube, I want you to throw your thoughts in the conversation or about the conversation in the comments. Throw your comments in because I want to know, have you ever trusted in the most important event in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ for your salvation? I'd love to get your questions and your thoughts in the comments. And to all my podcast friends out there, listening while you drive or while you work, stay safe and thanks for tuning in. Uh, I don't do a, a great job at uh, consistency on this one, but I got to hang out with my roommate from college recently. He's got six children. They're all homeschool. I told them about the Creation Today show, and I said, listen, it's live every Wednesdays, and all the kids wanted to watch it. So to all my homeschool families out there that are making this show a part of your weekly routine and your weekly discipleship, thank you guys for joining us. Jacoby family, I love you guys. Stay warm up there in the north. Hey, if you guys ever want to join our community, come on over to creationtoday.org and partner with us for any amount and help us reach the world with the truth. All right, partners, see you guys on here. We're about to have a conversation about the most important event in history. My guest is my friend, the famous, the notorious, the smartest, and the tallest, Tim Chafee. Tim, how you doing, buddy? I'm well, after that introduction, I'm not sure. There's <laughs> <laughs> a pretty high standard to live up to. The most important topic, and yep. I mean the smartest type. Yeah, I didn't hit that one. That's for sure. Tallest, well, tallest. I mean, on our staff, and probably the tallest. At are you the tallest over there at AIG as well? Uh, We got one guy in the warehouse who's about an inch and a half taller than me. Oh man, so second tallest. So I, and I'm not even your tall. I might be tied for your tallest friend, and we got (laughs) to. That's that's true. I've only got two friends. Both of them are tall. Well, Tim, I'm so glad we're talking about this. Uh, this this was not as important to me of a topic until I heard you give a presentation. It was at a chapel meeting, a chapel message at there at Answers in Genesis, and it was online. So I tuned into it, and it was you, you titled it "A Hole in Our Gospel." I never really truly recognized how many times I had shared the gospel and talked about the death of Christ but I didn't mention the resurrection of Christ. How did this become so important to you? Why has this been a passion for you? 
Well, for, there's a couple of reasons. One, I, I've always had a, really ever since I got serious about my faith back in the, the 1990s, so you know, over 25 years ago now, um, I've always had a passion to, to make sure I'm understanding the text correctly, even if that means I've got to change what I once believed about it, even if that means I need to go against what uh, my friends are saying or maybe supervisor is saying um, or my professors, uh, because to me, when I talk about biblical authority, I really mean that. And it, that that really is my authority. So I'm I'm always trying to be very careful in making sure I understand the text correctly. But one thing I noticed uh, when it came to presenting the gospel, you know, there were a lot of people doing what you just said. They talked about that um, Christ had died for our sins on, on the cross. That um, that you know He took our place. He paid our price. And praise God, they were saying that. And then that was kind of the end of the message. They would in. And I thought, well, what about the resurrection? And I remember being in a church on Easter Sunday one time, and the resurrection didn't even come up. It was all about Good Friday. And I thought, wait, why? Why do we get to hear about the resurrection? And then I, I kept noticing this time and time and time again when people would present the gospel, they're presenting without the resurrection. Yet in First Corinthians fifteen, when you look at the first four verses, Paul says, "Here's the gospel that I declared to you, the, the gospel that he preached, and by which they were saved." And here it is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's it. That was, that was the content of the gospel message is that the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet it seemed like we were only giving about half of that message when we're talking about the cross. And um, I'm not trying to take away anything from people who are, who are proclaiming the cross, you know, praise God, they're still doing that because we, we both know there's churches that aren't even willing to do that anymore. So, uh, you know, God can use, our, our shortcomings um, when when we don't present something 100% accurately or maybe we forget to say something, God can still use that. And uh, so, so praise God, people are still proclaiming the, the, the sacrificial death of Christ. Um, but the Bible is very clear on this issue. And you read a little bit from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that without the resurrection, there's no hope. And why would we, why would, why would we end our message at the at the down you know at the at the at the end without any hope it's you know he died okay well lots of people can die now they're not dying in our place like like christ did but what happened next and yeah as christians we understand what happened next because we've lived in it we've gone to church sometimes our whole life or uh we've read the rest of the story as as they as they say um but the unbeliever may not know that. So why would we not be telling them about the, the greatest news that not only did he die, but he conquered death and those who believe in him will also conquer death. Amen to that. I mean, that is the foundation. That's what made me so excited about this and uh, ended up asking you, hey, do you want to come down and do a small group? And so we actually put together a 12-part small group series on the resurrection of Christ called Risen. Do you remember why you called it Risen? You, I mean, obviously, it's about the resurrection of Christ. But what was going on when we were doing this small group series? The movie uh, no, was coming was, out. I thought this was before the movie. Well, we did it before the movie, but I thought the movie was coming out. Isn't that why we did? Or maybe we did a pot, we did a webinar because of that. We did a webinar because of it. But I think we called, I think this was like a year or half a year before the movie came out, before I was aware of that. But Okay. It, yeah. 
Maybe not. Well, my bad on that one. We did a webinar because based on this about the movie coming out and the director of the Risen movie, one of the executive producers was on our webinar and said, guys, great job. Love the content. Love the information. That was really, really cool. But the series is called Risen Without a Doubt. And our giveaway today is to our Creation Today partners. For those of you guys joining us right here on Zoom, uh, I just want to say thank you. Uh, your monthly donations are helping spread the truth literally around the world through Creation Today. And by being a Creation Today partner, not only do you get kind of the virtual backstage access to these weekly conversations and the Creation Today shows that we do, but you also have access to hundreds of hours of apologetic training. So partners, uh, after today's conversation, be sure to head over to your partner on-demand platform at creationtoday.org, and you can watch Risen Without a Doubt, this entire 12-session series. Uh, it's right there, uh, free to you. So uh, if you're not a partner, I'd encourage you this just just session three on a hole in our gospel uh, is worth becoming a partner of Creation Today. By the way, um, Tim, I can't believe you did this. You also have made it possible for somebody to grab this thumb drive right here, which has all of your PowerPoints. It has a, a, a license to use this, and you actually say, hey, learn this material and go teach it in your own Sunday school class. So some of you, you need to grab a hold of this little thumb drive on uh, the, the Risen thumb drive, which is on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you need to learn how to teach this material uh, to others. So we encourage you to do that. That's available at creationtoday.org. Tim, I want to jump in because this is extra biblical. So um, can we, uh, before we go extra biblical, can you give us a little summary of uh, the biblical evidence of the resurrection? And then I want today's conversation to really get into some of the extra biblical outside of the Bible. Is there evidence for the resurrection? I know there's a lot, but can you kind of preface that? Yeah. So one of the things the Bible does in, in the beginning of the book of Acts, Luke tells us that Jesus presented himself alive by many infallible proofs for over that 40-day period of the, these post-resurrection appearances uh, before the ascension. And, you know, what is a, what's an infallible proof that somebody had been raised from the dead? Well, if, if, you, if some, a loved one had passed away and you knew they were dead, what would convince you they were alive again? Well, you would see them, right? You would yeah. walk with them. You would walk with them. You'd watch them eat or drink something proving that they're not just a ghost or something. All of those things are happening in the last chapter of each gospel, in the last two chapters of the gospel of John, where Jesus is demonstrating that he has conquered death. And so you have uh, the disciples seeing him. He makes at least 10 post-resurrection appearances that are recorded in the gospels and in First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. And uh, so those are those infallible proofs that, that he had been raised uh, because he, he's alive again. And you see the change in the lives of the disciples, you know, these people who are, are behaving very cowardly the night that he was arrested. And, and you and I both understand why, because if you knew what crucifixion was, you wouldn't want any part of that. You'd want to stay as far, as far away as possible. And you knew that that is something that maybe could happen to you as well. So um, they're, they're running away in, in fear. Peter, you know, one of the leading disciples says, I'll never deny you. And yet that night he's denying Jesus before a servant girl. And um, yet within just seven weeks, he stands up in front of thousands of his fellow countrymen and, and people who have been longing for and waiting for the Messiah. And he says, you've just taken him and by wicked hands have crucified him, but God raised him up. And, and he starts proclaiming the resurrection right in Jerusalem to a bunch of people who could have easily done the same thing to him. 
And yet they couldn't refute it. They couldn't go down to the tomb and say, no, he's right here because that tomb was empty. And so you have the empty tomb, you have the eyewitness testimony, you have the change in the lives of the disciples. Uh, you got the change in the lives of, of unbelievers like Paul. Uh, we, we think of Saul of Tarsus, or we know him as the Apostle Paul. Um, here's a guy who is the, church, the church's greatest persecutor. And one day on the road to Damascus, he saw the light, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. And suddenly his life does a 180 and he becomes, I think, the greatest Christian who's ever lived. And he wrote 13 books of the New Testament. And um, there was nothing that could stop him from, from preaching the gospel. It didn't matter if he was beaten with rods or, or, or if he was flogged or thrown in prison over and over again. As, as soon as he was let out, he's going to start preaching the gospel. Or even while he was still there, he's probably yes, was in. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't stop him. And it's because he knew what Christ had done in his life. He he knew that Christ truly had uh, risen from the dead. And there was, there was nothing that was going to stop him from proclaiming it, um, except for death, which he said was far better because then he gets to go be with his Lord. So how do you stop a guy like that? Right. You, can't. <laughs> you keep doing uh, this. We're going to kill you. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> Yeah, that's even better. And you got one other uh, guy who was an unbeliever at the time was James. It's Jesus' half-brother. I just and, turned to that passage because I'm like, to me, that's one of the most fascinating, like to, to have his own brother, literally a, a, a child of Mary and Joseph, to have his own brother not believe and go, you know what? Now I believe. I mean, to convince your own family, that's impressive. Yeah. I, not only did he not believe it, at one point, uh, John 7 tells us they didn't believe in him, but in Mark 3, it tells us that his family tried to prevent him from speaking, saying that he was out of his mind. I mean, that's, that's what they thought about him. And um, yet James is in the upper room in Acts chapter 2 with the rest of the disciples, because what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 is that Jesus also appeared to James. In fact, there's not a single account in scripture of anybody remaining in unbelief after encountering the resurrected Christ. Now, maybe there were some who did, but the the Bible doesn't tell us about any of them. So oh. it, that would be an infallible proof that he is exactly who he claimed to be. So, yeah, you've got all of those things from Scripture. Of course, all of the New Testament, really all of the Bible kind of hinges on the resurrection uh, being true. And if you if you look at how frequently the resurrection is mentioned in the epistles and in uh, you know later after the Gospels, it's, it's just every time they're preaching, they're preaching of the resurrection that was central to their message. And so it's very strange that, that Christians today so often forget about it and, and don't talk about it, except for maybe on Easter. Strange indeed. I remember D.L. Moody's quote that you shared of him saying, I, wa I wanted to find out what was what was it that the, the apostles were preaching? And oh, he said, Spurgeon, as I, yeah. Spurgeon, not Moody. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, Spurgeon. Yeah. And, and he said, man, as I went back and examined their writings and what they preached on, they had one theme everywhere they went, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, man, I... I I can't believe I've done such a poor job of, of of presenting the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it certainly got his attention as well. well. And it was, it was the resurrection of Jesus. It was actually the the resurrection and the resurrection of Jesus. What he's talking about, our future resurrection. That's something that we don't talk about in the church anymore either, because we we tend to think that oh, when when this life is over, we tend to think that oh, for eternity we're going to be like these spirit beings, sort of like angels dwelling in the on the clouds. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. We get physical, resurrected, glorified bodies like Jesus had, and we're going to be dwelling in the new heavens and the new earth, specifically the new Jerusalem. It's not a ethereal, 
you know, spiritual existence that like, sometimes the way people describe it sounds really boring. Well, why would yeah. that be good for an evangelist? Hey, you know, get saved and you can have eternity. That sounds kind of boring. No, it's not yeah. going to be boring. Not only eternity, eternity yeah. going, singing a song with, you know, instead of just, you know, repeating the chorus 20 times, we're going to repeat it forever. That's what some people think of when they think of uh, yeah. eternity. And that's not what it is. It's, it's so much more than that. And um, the, the Bible describes that. And, and when we don't talk about resurrection, we don't talk about Christ's resurrection or what that means for our own future resurrection, we get a wrong view of of eternity as well. So it's not only do we present a wrong view of the gospel message, it's, it's like an incomplete gospel message. We also have an incomplete uh, eschatology too. Well, I got uh, I got about 10 minutes left with our uh, friends that are on Facebook and on YouTube and our podcast and television show. Can we jump into, I, we, we would agree the Bible is the best evidence for the resurrection of Christ. It talks about it. The apostles talk about it. You can't go through the scripture without the Old Testament pointing towards what was going to happen to Christ and then the New Testament talking about what happened to Christ. But some people go, well, I don't believe the Bible. Now, I think there's a whole argument that can be made on why this is the best evidence and why this is our authority and why this is revelation from God. But today's conversation, Tim, you've gone through and researched a lot of really extra biblical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to jump into some of that. Yeah, well, let's do that after I make one other comment. Yeah, the, the, the Bible is our best evidence today that Jesus rose from the dead and the other things that we know about Jesus or anything else the Bible speaks on because it's the infallible, inerrant Word of God. Um, but even if somebody doesn't believe the Bible, at least treat it in a way similar to what you would other ancient manuscripts or ancient documents. Because what, what we see is even though it has shown itself time and time and time again to be more reliable than those, what the skeptics will do is discount it so much to where they don't believe anything in it or they'll believe very few things in it. Um, and yet they'll be willing to believe something that is far less attested in the historical record. Um, they'll jump to that even though you might have one witness from, or not even a witness, but one record from 300 years later or something. But here you got dozens of eyewitnesses or multiple eyewitnesses who are in that very generation and they've proven to be reliable. And they're like, nah, I don't want anything to do with that. So even if you don't believe like we do, inerrant, inspired, infallible word of God, treat, look at it as you would maybe some other history and see how it lines up because they're still all pointing to the same thing. Jesus rose from the dead. It's, uh, so what people will try to do is they'll try to find one little uh, alleged contradiction, like uh, this number in first Samuel doesn't match this number in first Chronicles. Therefore I can't believe Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. It's like, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> if, if anything, you've shown that the copy you're holding in your hand somewhere along the way, there was a typo. <laughs> How does that discount that Jesus died and, and rose? And that's what they'll try to do. So uh, yeah, I wanted to make that, that comment. Um, well, then then I got to add a little caveat, and I <laughs> wish I would have told Kent to have him pull this video up, but you'll have to go watch it on your own. We'll throw the, throw the link in the comments. What What is that? Um, you did your bean video. You know, you're, you oh, played the, bean, the coffee yeah. shop barista, and you're showing how many copies of the, of the Bible we have compared to other ancient documents. Uh, arkencounter.org slash bean. Arkencounter.com slash beans. That's it. Beans, yep. plural. Arkencounter.com slash beans. Oh my goodness. We'll throw that in the comments because 
That is an unbelievable, that is a fascinating little video that you and the, the team there at AIG put together to show us how we can trust this. Okay. I don't mean to be wasting time, but you're going to love that one. Okay. Yeah. It smelled really good filming it too. They'll see why. <laughs> All right. Fresh roasted coffee. Oh, it was chocolate caramel brownie. Um, oh, nice. Thirsty already. All right. Um, so yeah, let's jump into then those extra biblical uh, evidences. And Grab your pen, guys. Grab your paper. This is going to make a great conversation around the table when you have your family over uh, for Easter uh, on Sunday, okay? Yeah, so this first one that I'm going to talk about is is it's subjective, and I recognize that it's subjective. Um, but anybody who has been walking with the Lord for any length of time, uh, especially those who have had a drastic conversion, you know, from going one way being exceedingly sinful and turning around and uh, striving to live a godly life. They know that Christ has made changes in their life. They know that he's alive. They know that um, he has risen because he is living inside them. He, he is within us. And again, I know that's, that's subjective and, and people are like, well, I'm, if you're a skeptic, you're probably thinking that's just stupid. Well, I understand why you would think that, but if you had had the same experience that, that, millions of people in the last 2000 years have testified to um we know beyond any shadow of a doubt he's alive because we know him and you don't you don't know dead people you don't get to con continue to communicate with dead people but you can know somebody who is alive and uh, so he is working in our lives he's making changes in our lives and uh so so we know for that reason that he's alive but again, that's very subjective. And if we didn't have scripture to inform that, um, I would uh, I would be very cautious about using experience as an argument. Uh, right. Because because we're kind of cautious about other religions and their experience using it as an argument. Yeah. Or so, even sometimes fellow Christians who might base things a little more on experience or like, yeah, it's all got to be checked against the word of God. And, and I would urge you even on this one, it's got to be checked against the word of God. Um but I mean, you you can see the same thing in the lives of the disciples. They knew he was alive. The, 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 how radically their lives changed was a testimony to the fact that he had risen and that they had seen him. And in a similar way, even though we don't see him, um, we can know him and we can have our lives radically changed like the disciples did. So, um, but again, don't use each of these arguments by themselves and say, well, that's the only thing I'm basing it on. But in total you know when, when that's taken in um in with all of the other ones that is an extra biblical evidence for the resurrection um another one that we've got that is pretty interesting it made the news about two years ago right now was called the nazareth inscription hmm. and so the nazareth inscription is this marble tablet and it was presumably found in nazareth nazareth when um I think I think it was in the London Museum for a while now. I think it's now it's in Paris. At the, I think it's at the Louvre. Um, but in um, when it was discovered in uh, Paris, there was a note that said um, "sent from Nazareth." Now we don't know. I mean, that was back in the 1870s. I think um, we don't know 100% if that's really where it was from. But that's okay because it doesn't matter so much where it's from. And this is what that that study two years ago kind of was going after they're like well we can't really know that it's from nazareth because um because of that there there wasn't strict record keeping at that time you know that they, they, they weren't really concerned about the provenance of something where it came from 
And so what they did is they did some testing. Uh, they were able to get a little sample. They got permission to scrape off a little bit of the marble on the back side of this tablet and get it tested to figure out where it's from because each of, because the chemical composition of marble is different from different quarries. And so they were able to figure out that this tablet came from a little island off the like 110 square mile island off the coast southwestern coast of Turkey, modern day Turkey, uh, called Kos or Kos, K-O-S, and um, or sometimes written C-O-S, and that's where the marble tablet is from. Now that doesn't mean that's where it was discovered. That doesn't mean that's where it ended up, because we find marble in Israel. Eric, you've been to Israel. Have you? Did yeah. you see marble anywhere? Yeah, there's marble all over. Okay, well, it didn't come from Israel. It came from outside of Israel because oh. they import all of the marble. And so if you find a marble tablet in Israel, it's not shocking at all that it was from somewhere else. And did Israel have any economic relations with the island of Kos? Well, yes, they did. In fact, we find inscriptions talking about King Herod on the island of Kos. They, wow. they, they had economic relationships, so that's not a, that's not a problem at all. But What's really important is what the, the tablet says. So it's an inscription or what's called a rescript, like a summary of a law. So it, like the word and in Greek, chi, doesn't show up on there at all. And yet, if you read through the Greek New Testament, you see it all the time. The, the, and this, and this, and this. I mean, it's just constantly being used. And so that, that's an evidence that this is just a summary, that somebody's saying, hey, I got a little bit of space. Let me get this, this down. And what it... Is it's a it's a decree from the emperor that anybody who moved a body from a tomb with wicked intent would be put to death, and it even singles out sepulcher ceiling stones, which are generally found only in Israel. And so here's this tablet found presumably in Israel, but even if it was found somewhere else in the empire, that's fine because it's the message that is important here, and talking about. Don't move a body from a tomb with wicked intent or its death penalty. Well, what could have possibly inspired that? Now, the writing style is very similar to other decrees by Emperor Claudius, who was the emperor in the 40s, which would be about 10 to 15 years after the crucifixion and resurrection. And what was going on in the empire at that time? You have the disciples proclaiming the gospel, Paul going throughout the, the empire, proclaiming the gospel wherever he goes. And in a lot of these cities, I think there's at least five of them that talk about public uprising, you know, that these, whether it's a riot or just this, you know, they grab him and throw him in jail. And, and um, they're, so you get this conflict wherever he was going as well. And it's disturbing the public peace. And eventually it becomes such an issue that it reaches Rome. And the emperor himself says, uh, yeah, no more talk about this kind of thing. <laughs> What were the Jew? What was the Jewish response to Paul's preaching about Christ rising from the dead? No, the disciples came and stole his body. That's what, and that's what the soldiers were paid to say. The disciples came and stole his body while we slept. And so you have the disciples saying he rose, um, and then you have the Jewish response saying, "No, no, no." He, the unbelieving Jewish response, obviously, the disciples were Jews too, so they were believing Jews. Um, and then the the unbelieving response is, "No, his disciples stole the body." So there's this. That's what's causing all this conflict is talk about a guy who was no longer in his tomb and one side saying they stole his body and obviously with in, an intent that causes problem. So that fits the New Testament narrative perfectly. 
But what happened two years ago is the study that discovered that the marble came from the island of Kos. The, the people who did the research said, it's interesting because there's a, a, an old story about the, an ancient ruler on Kos named Nicias who was, a t- was alive back in the days of Julius Caesar. So about 30, 25 to 30 years before Jesus was born. And uh, when he died around uh, 25 BC or so, or 21 BC, something like that, a little while later, his tomb was desecrated and his body was taken out and dragged is what this ancient writing talks about. But it talks about how they had to remove the bars from his tomb, from the door of his tomb. Um, it's not a sepulchral ceiling stone. It's more like a door that they had to remove. So it doesn't fit that description. And it's also, it, it's so what would the point of the law be? Because Nicias was an enemy of Julius Caesar during that civil war that they had in BC, 30 BC. Um, why would he care what happened to an enemy? In fact, he'd probably be glad that his the, his enemy's body was, was disturbed and, and, you know, dragged through town. Why would he make a law in response to that and say nobody can take a body from a tomb with sepulchral ceiling stones? So that story, that made news headlines quite a bit just two years ago. And if people want a a detailed response to it, they can look at my article I wrote on the Answers in Genesis website about whether or not the Nazareth inscription still is better understood as relating to Jesus' resurrection rather than to Nicias of Kos. And I would say, yeah, it still fits the resurrection narrative much better than it fits the other one. It is interesting to, to go through that and realize, there, there, why would you make a law about moving a body with wicked intent, you know, disturbing a sepulcher uh, stone? And, and to realize, wow, this is, they were trying to do uh, damage control. The Jewish leaders were trying to do. It's just like, it, may I say this live on Facebook? It's just like what we see on the social media platforms today. If you don't want a message, you just shut down that message, and that's what they were trying to do: is just shut down that message. So, uh, law passed. You get kicked off social media if you talk about this guy resurrecting from the dead. Well, and this one wasn't even just the Jews. It reached all the way to the emperor himself. And the emperor is the one passing this decree that that nobody can move a body from a tomb with wicked intent, or you die. Um, but of course, that was in that was coming as a result of the unbelieving Jewish response that um, you know the disciples had stolen the body, uh, which of course makes no sense. The the argument, as we talked about in the risen series, that yeah. makes, it's like the, the the disciples who were on the run and cowering in fear are suddenly going to overpower a bunch of guards and somehow um, be identified as, you know, when the soldiers were sleeping, that the, the <laughs> disciples came at night and stole the body while we slept. How would they know who stole the body? Yeah, if they were exactly. sleeping? And it's just Even their best story doesn't make any sense because ultimately man's word will not stand. It's going to crumble. If it goes against what God's word says, it's going to crumble. And so we see all of these arguments that people use to try to explain away the resurrection. They, they don't hold up to any scrutiny. But I love, by the way, I loved those se- two full sessions on the arguments against the resurrection. Either the disciples stole the body or Jesus didn't really die. Demolished every single one. I thought that was a great uh, um, intro. Well, hey, we've covered two. I need to let Facebook go, but I before I do, um, can you give me a 10-second teaser? Because I want to ask you about, uh, and I want to spend some time with our partners here, specifically on, I don't know if you're okay with this, 
the Shroud of Turin. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about the Shroud. Um, I think it is far more interesting than what most people would ever imagine. How's that for my 10-second teaser? I think that is a great teaser. And with that, if you want to hear the rest of this conversation, come on over to creationtoday.org and be a partner so that we can enjoy the rest of this conversation together. Our partners and I are going to go ahead and keep talking to Tim for another half an hour. Uh, we, we, we actually... I've got Tim talking about the Shroud of Turin for over an hour, and I learned so much. There's a record of that? There's a record of this. Yes, I'm sorry. I I got that. And it is fascinating. So if you're not a partner, either head over to creationtoday.org and check that out, Shrouded in Mystery, or uh, just become a partner and enjoy this conversation with us because there's a lot of great material we're about to go into. Uh, yeah, we, so I want to kind of we kind of filmed that as like a bonus session for the Risen series. I mean, it was yeah, in this it was like the next day and it was the same sort of setup and everything. And um, so the Risen series was fresh in our mind when we were talking about it, and that, that was a lot of fun. I'm blown away at the science that's gone into testing this shroud and what they what what they cannot figure out about this is truly remarkable. And then the 3D imagery that they've done now. I mean, just it's guys, you're going to want to tune in uh, to the truth about this because I was pretty dismissive early on when I first heard about this years ago and was like, yeah, right. I'm not as dismissive now. I think it's I think it's fascinating. So. Um, okay, with that, Facebook, uh, YouTube, I got to let you guys go. Uh, to those of you joining us for a television show, thanks so much for tuning in. I want you to write a letter to your station and tell them thank you for carrying the Creation Today show. To my podcast listeners, thank you guys. I look forward to seeing you next week for a fantastic conversation as we continue discipleship week after week. God bless.